The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Hi, I'm Brad Bannon, the host of Deadline DC. I'm a national democratic strategist, a columnist for The Messenger, and a political analyst for news radio station KNX in Los Angeles. You can read all my columns in The Messenger at muckrack.com front slash Brad Bannon, front slash articles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. Our intrepid uh, executive producer, Mark Grimaldi, is on the boards uh, to make sure the show runs on time and it stays online. It's Media Monday on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. My guests uh, today are John Bennett, who is an editor-in-large and uh, an opinion. uh, analysis columnist at Congressional Quarterly and Roll Call. Then uh, he's here to talk about uh, the recent vicissitudes of Donald Trump and the new wave of indictments coming his way. Then Tara Devlin, the host of the podcast Tara Buster, uh, joins me to discuss the new right-wing assaults uh, and culture wars. But before we bring on our first guest, uh, we have this clip to play for you. And it's former Vice President uh, Mike Pence uh, talking to Dana Bash on CNN about uh, Trump's ask to, uh, for him to overturn results of the 2020 election. I'm sure you've heard the former president's lawyers saying that he, quote, ultimately asked only that you pause in counting the electoral ballots. I just want to be clear. Did the former president ask you to pause or did he at any point ask you to overturn the election and keep him as president? Well, you can you can look at the tweets and public statements the president made all the way up uh, uh, to the night before in the morning of look what uh, what the president uh, was convinced it seemed to me in December was that I had some right to reject or return electoral votes, even though no pre- vice president in American history had ever asserted that right, and and no vice president or any one person should ever have the right to choose the American president. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. Uh, but look, in the in the days before, the president was talking about us rejecting votes. Uh, then late in the process, uh, his lawyer suggested that we return votes to the states. Uh, but frankly, the day before January 6th, if memory serves, they, they came back, his lawyers did, and said, we want you to reject votes outright. This, this, 
They were asking me to overturn the election. I had no right to overturn the election. Uh, I know we did our duty that day, and uh, I couldn't be more encouraged, whether it's here in New Hampshire, in Iowa, or all across the country, uh, how many people come up to me and express their appreciation for the stand that we took. That was former Vice President Mike Pence uh, ratting out Donald Trump for asking him to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Our guest in this half hour is John Bennett, editor-at-large and analysis columnist at Congressional Quarterly and Roll Call. Welcome back to Deadline DC, John. We're glad to have you again. Thanks for having me back. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, it seems to me that uh, Pence has been gradually inching up, becoming more and more critical of uh, his former boss for, uh, uh, you know, trying to overturn the 2020 election. It seems to me a few months ago, Pence was dismissing it. Uh, and now he seems to uh, be very aggressive and taking on Trump. Uh, he's sitting at about 3% in the GOP presidential primary polls. Uh, does that have something to do with it? <laughs> you read my mind. Uh, yeah, uh, Mike Pence desperately wants to get on uh, the debate stage uh, later this month, the first Republican primary debate. And, uh, you know, he's got to have a certain number of donors and he's got to be polling at a certain level. And based on reporting and some of the typically cryptic thing Pence himself has said, uh, he he it looks like he's going to get on the stage, but it's not guaranteed. You know, he's like one of those playoff teams, uh, as we'll see coming down the stretch here in the baseball season. He's on the bubble right now. He's not in. So he's got to do something to attract some donors, and and he's got to get those poll numbers to tick up a little more, these last poll numbers uh, before the debate. Um, and this is one way to do that. Now, you know, you can say he's getting more aggressive, but um, I may or may not be writing a column for Roll Call uh, to publish Friday morning about the crypticness of Mike Pence. And... You know, he's not exactly Chris Christie on on, on <laughs> no. how he really feels about Trump. You know, Major Garrett asked him yesterday in an interview that aired uh, yesterday or Sunday morning on Face the Nation. Um, I believe it was I believe it was uh, Major asked him, you know, well, would you vote for Donald Trump if he is the nominee uh, in the election next November? And, you know, Mike Pence did his Mike Pence dance and he didn't say yes, but he certainly didn't say no. And, you know, I understand the headlines and, and you know, we're a business and we've all got to make money. Um, but let's not anoint Pence the anti-Trump just yet because he criticizes Trump. Clearly, they felt they felt differently during the Capitol riot. They felt differently after the election. Um, that's not new. So he might be saying it in a slightly more um I wouldn't call it aggressive. I would call it maybe muscular or sharp way. But he's, you know, Pence isn't going that much further than what he's said and written um, since they left office. And, you know, that's because he does need uh, to peel off some of that Trump base as hard as that's going to be. Remember, uh, some of those, many of those at the Capitol on January 6th were chanting, hang Mike Pence. And for crying out loud, they brought a gallows to do so. I know. So, 
you know, he's he's trying here, but again, he's not Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor who's who's running for president. And I'm not sure he'll be on the debate stage at this point. Um, uh, maybe he can get there too. But he's been really critical day in and day out since even before he got in um, the presidential, uh, the GOP primary that he believes Trump is unfit for office. Pence has never quite said it like that. Um, if if this was about if if this was really about trying to disqualify the former president, you know, a former vice president might think he has the duty to say it more like Christie saying it. But so far, all we can conclude is Pence doesn't feel he has that responsibility, at least not right now. You know, it seems to me, you know, obviously Pence is uh, having problems in his race. He's barely registering at all and may or may not uh, get invited to the first uh, GOP debate on August 28th, I believe. Uh, and it seems to me DeSantis, you know, obviously there have been a lot of problems with the DeSantis campaign, uh, but they seem to be stuck in the same place with Trump. Damned if I do and damned if I don't. Can you explain that? Um, I'll try. Uh, I was looking at some poll numbers today and uh, Governor DeSantis nationally, the, the 538 average, um, you know, I checked it last week and he's down to 14 percent. I checked it just before we started uh, today. He's down to 14 percent. They, you know, they average a number of different polls. That's staggering for a guy who was up around 30, um, you know, what, six, five, six months ago. Yep. Uh, he is just in a tailspin. Um, he hasn't caught on w- with voters. You know, I noticed uh, over the weekend that they uh, they put the governor in, in, a, in a blue vest over a button down, I guess, trying to make him seem more like your dad or your uncle or your eighth grade um, civics teacher or something. Um, but, you know, the thing about Governor DeSantis is that didn't even look right. I mean, you know, he's a he's a middle aged man and a vest is, you know, pretty uniform for for those of us in that kind of age range. But he didn't really pull that off either. And and Pence, you know, we DeSantis was supposed to attract part of that Trump base and he hasn't done it. And the ones who were interested, like I said, they've gone away. Uh, a lot of them, it it looks John, like in the we're going to have to pick this up. I've gone back to Trump. We got to take a short break. We'll be back with more of John Bennett from Congressional Quarterly and Roll Call. Welcome back to Deadline. Brad I'm Brad DC. By the way, uh, we're glad to have our radio listeners back after a short four-minute break. I just want to advise our radio listeners that if you want to watch us as well as listen to us, uh, you can watch us on social media at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon or on facebook.com front slash deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. Our guest in this half hour, and we'll have them uh, free and clear through the bottom of the hour, uh, is John Bennett, editor-at-large and uh, analysis columnist at Congressional Quarterly and Roll Call. Uh, John, uh, we also have uh, uh, 
you know, continue our discussion about Donald Trump's legal problems, I should advise our uh, viewers and listeners that there is still a grand jury meeting in Fulton County, Georgia, on uh, investigating the former president's attempts uh, to uh, manipulate the Georgia election results after he lost that state's electoral votes uh, to Donald Trump. Uh, recently, uh, the judge who uh, uh, dismissed his countersuit against Jean, e. Jean Carroll uh, after uh, a grand a jury found him liable uh, for sexual assault and defamation of character, and the judge who refused to uh, hear Trump's appeal uh, basically came out and said the case proved that the former president was a rapist. Uh, and again, what do you think it's going to take to break Trump? I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, mentioned something significant. I thought that we're not seeing, uh, him being booked or arrested. Uh, we may not see the, probably not going to see the trial in the federal cases. What will it take to break him? Do you think? Well, I, I think a trial kind of, you know, it crystallizes everything it, it and it, it shows the severity of the situation when any defendant is sitting in a courtroom across from a judge, you know, you can't see the jury box, but you know, it's there. So Jack Smith, the special federal prosecutor, ah, the federal special counsel, excuse me, is trying everything he can to get the DC case, which covers Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election. And then his role in the January 6th Capitol riot. He's trying to get that to trial quickly. Um, he, he wants that, he clearly wants that done before election day. So voters have that knowledge when they cast their ballots. Did a jury of his peers find Donald Trump guilty or innocent in, in, on those four charges related uh, to overturning the election and the Capitol riot? And, you know, I agree with that. I, I, I think it's, it's worth it if it can also be a fair trial because Donald Trump is innocent until he's proven guilty and he has a right to a fair trial. So that's what part of what Jack Smith and his prosecutorial team have to do. They have to build a strategy uh, that ensures because the Trump lawyers are going to try to slow this down. They're going to argue venue. They're going to look for a venue change, even a new judge. Uh, they're going to argue that uh, things are moving too quickly and, and their discovery process uh, needs more time for more due diligence. And they have that. And Trump has that right to 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 press for that. And that's important that that's upheld because you don't want to break any norms here. You have to go quickly, but you have to go carefully. And that's going to be tough for the judge. It's going to be tough for Jack Smith and his team. Uh, but I do think there's enough time in the D.C. case, in the Florida case with the classified documents. Who knows? I mean, you've got to get people cleared. You've got to get all the lawyers cleared. Probably the jury uh, members are going to have to get security clearances, the judge, the bailiff, the clerks. And that's going to take a long time. Then you have to vet the documents. And how you're going to present those uh, in, in an actual trial situation, that's going to be very hard. So the D.C. case and possibly the Georgia state case, uh, uh, if Fannie uh, Williams decides to, to move forward with her indictment, and we think that could be uh, maybe not this week, but probably before the end of August, those two cases might be able to go to trial before Election Day. And again, I think it's important. Again, he has a, Donald Trump has a right to a fair trial. Um, but I think there is a responsibility to try to do these relatively quickly so voters have that information. Okay. 
I want to ask you about a different topic that you've written recently about. Uh, we're uh, Congress is out of session now. Uh, we've had the new uh, GOP House majority uh, for six or seven months. Uh, what's your assessment of the performance of the new House majority and its speaker, uh, Kevin McCarthy? Yeah, this is going to become a bigger and bigger issue as as uh, 2023 comes to a close. And, you know, you've, al- you've already got um, Democrats and some uh, moderate Republicans in the House warning that the annual uh, National Defense Authorization Bill, which has passed, I don't know, 63, 64 consecutive years, uh, is in jeopardy this year. And that's because uh, the Freedom Caucus uh, Republicans and some of their allies who don't identify as Freedom Caucus um, have put, you know, a lot of far-right provisions in for so the, the, these culture wars that they're constantly fighting with with their friends at Fox News and Newsmax and elsewhere. And some of them don't have anything to do with the Pentagon. And, and that's a problem. Uh, John McCain, the late Armed Services Chair in the Senate, used to uh, get red-faced and agitated with guys like me when I was covering defense, uh, railing that, you know, everybody's put all this stuff in and now we have to take it out in conference. Well, we'll see if they can even come up with a conference report, a a compromise bill between the House and the Senate version of of the Pentagon policy bill this year. And then what happens uh, if they do that? And a lot of these uh, far right provisions are not in the conference agreement. What do the conservatives do? Do they let McCarthy pass it with Democratic votes? Or do they say, no, Mr. Speaker, you have to pass it with only Republican votes and then it may fail or McCarthy may go to uh, Hakeem Jeffries, say, give me some votes. Let's pass this thing anyway. And then would they would the Republic would the far right Republicans then come for McCarthy's gavel? You can't rule that out. Is uh, uh, funding for uh, Ukraine an issue in the defense spending uh, battle? That's going to be a big problem as well uh, at the end of the year, especially, uh, you know, September 30th is the deadline for government funding. You know, it seems like there's an agreement on Capitol Hill, kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod, that they'll do some kind of of stopgap funding bill, a bridge to keep the government open uh, at the end of September and keep talking about spending, including Ukraine. That's a big problem. I mean, there are even some moderate Democrats who have talked about maybe, if not turning the spigot off to Ukraine, at least slowing it down. And of course, uh, many Republicans, some Republicans in the Senate who have surprised me, say it might be time uh, to stop spending so much to help Ukraine. So that's going to be a big problem. And how you get something longer term done, no one knows the answer to that right now. Okay. John, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. I hope you can return to Deadline D.C. Our guest in this half hour was John Bennett, uh, who is uh, editor-in-large and uh, uh, analysis columnist at Congressional Quarterly and Roll Call. We'll be right back uh, with our next guest uh, right after these messages, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, In this uh, segment, we'll be discussing the cultural wars, which are being waged fiercely by right-wing social extremists. 
but before we get to our guest, uh, we're going to play a clip. Uh, some people on Fox News uh, complaining about woke Barbie and predicting uh, that uh, it wouldn't. No one would go to see the movie. Uh, well, you know, go woke, go broke. Um, anyway, uh, let's play the clip, Mark. I have two daughters. I have a seven-year-old and a 14-year-old, and they've been talking about going to see Barbie for weeks now. They've mm -hmm. seen the posters. They saw a trailer before the Spider-Man movie. And I didn't even know it wasn't like PG, but apparently it's PG-13. It's full of suggestive humor. And I found out last week, they somehow didn't let anyone know this with the marketing campaign, that one of Barbie's main three sidekicks is, surprise, surprise, a man. I mean, is nothing sacred? I, there not, aren't a lot of movies that appeal to little girls, and this was one of them, but now it's off the list. And I don't really know what, what they were thinking. They just gave Barbie the Bud Light treatment, which probably looks pretty stupid in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, Tudor, it just, I, I, I can't, I don't get it. I mean, I, I have more Barbies than I can count in my house because of all my girls. Why won't they let our little girls have anything? Uh, it's not even profitable. I mean, Disney lost $900 you know, million on the last three woke children's films they put out. Ticket sales for the blockbuster crossed the $1 billion mark over the weekend. In the history of Hollywood, 28 people have had the directing credit on a billion-dollar film all men. And for the first time ever, a woman can now be added to that list. That is the director, none other than Greta Gerwig. She's the sole director and co-writer on the global blockbuster. According to Warner Brothers, no movie in the studio's 100-year history has ever sold tickets so quickly. The movie reached the milestone in just 17 days. Ticket sales, of course, were boosted by the Barbenheimer craze, but pink fever has spread around the world. An amazing achievement for a film that starring executive producer Margot Robbie once had to convince producers to consider making, and Gerwig just turned 40, so she's celebrating that as well. So many milestones and great lessons, good takeaways here for women. Go for it. So much for Go Woke, Go Broke. Uh, the new movie Barbie, which portrays the 60s icon as a feminist idol, uh, is a box office bonanza and the latest battlefield in the nation's culture wars. New fronts in the struggle against American society have opened simultaneously. Uh, a country singer, Jason Aldean, just released a hit single, Try That in a Small Town, which extols the virtues of small town living and suggests big cities are big trouble. And to cap it off, the new Florida Department of Education, the, the Florida Department of Education, under the leadership of Governor Ron DeSantis, released new guidelines to remind students of the benefits of slavery. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> they really did. Uh, the, the big question is why the right wing is pushing so hard to reignite the culture wars when the effort is doomed to failure. And it clearly has, based on the box office uh, receipts for the Barbie movie. The answer is simple. The Biden boom. The social extremist new fronts in the culture wars uh, are, feeble, are feeble attempts to get Americans to vote their prejudices instead of their pocketbooks. Their scare tactics and outrage schemes will fall on deaf ears. Our guest in this half hour is our good friend, Tara Devlin, mm -hmm. uh, the host of Terror Buster, the podcast Terror Buster. 
Uh, welcome back to Deadline DC, Tara. It's great to have you back with or Thank without you. your cat. Oh, well, the cat's here. You can't see him. He's sleeping. Next okay. To me. I don't want to disturb him, you know. So Good for you. <laughs> Good for him. He yeah. can he can get some peaceful sleep. He doesn't know anything about trans. I mean, uh, you know, Republican uh, war on trans people or uh, the uh, uh, go woke, go broke BS and all that. So he could sleep Sometimes peacefully. I wish I didn't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Makes it difficult for me to sleep. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I envy him. Really. I envy my cat sometimes. But yeah, I mean, this whole um, war on uh, you know, this whole culture war, this is all they have. And it's just a rehash. Like, yeah, you that's wrote exactly in your article. That's all they have. Mm hmm. It's the same thing. You, you mentioned it in your article. It's just a revitalized, same old war, you know, just add the new, um, uh, whatever the mo new boogeyman, which uh, is trans people. I mean, it's just really, um, incredibly, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's right out. It's a page right out of the Nazi playbook, frankly, them constantly going after trends. But it's also I mean, it just fits right into their, um, you know, all of their manias about gender hierarchies and everyone in their place. So, you know, then yeah, when, it's you know, I even saw one guy, some right winger named Ben Shapiro oh God. in a video burning yes. Barbie. Dogs. I know. I know, like this is all they have. You know, there's Joe Biden doing things, uh, passing bills, improving lives, uh, trying to make medication less expensive, trying to open up uh, health care, and and uh, finally, Infrastructure Week is not a, a gag line. And what do what do they have? They just have divis division, divisiveness, and attacking a minority group that is less than 1% of the population. It's, and it's offensive that anyone falls for it. But like in the clip you played when she said that, were they talking, see, I didn't see the Barbie movie. I only read things about it, like your article. And she's saying that Barbie has a male friend. Are they talking about the trans actress who plays one of Barbie's Yeah, I think friends? they are, yes. I mean, that is that in itself is so disgusting. And... I I just uh, it's it leaves me speechless how how ugly and divisive and really how wrong they are how horrible they they never bring light to a situation they only bring confusion and hate so and think about it it is it's the same uh, you know it's what less than one percent of the population which was the same percentage of the population that were supposedly all the cause of uh, the ills of Germany. And it's uh, there's a lot of co correlations, especially with uh, fascists starting with targeting, you know, gender minorities. So um, I don't I'm really uh, outraged that there that this is considered a just an issue. I mean, we're talking about people's lives here and they're injecting themselves into people's lives that they I you mean, know one of I... the things that uh, Ben Shapiro claimed about in the movie uh, there's an all-female Supreme Court and oh, right thinking, if only <laughs> yes exactly well and that's why it makes him very 
triggered. They see because freedom is really kind of above their heads. Uh, like for example, the I was watching the um, you know the new one of the outrages is that the women's soccer team didn't I guess uh, sing loud enough. Is that what happened? Because I watched yeah. that. They weren't as they weren't enthusiastic enough when they were singing the national anthem. And, you know, uh, what part of freedom is mandatory flag salutes? Uh, I don't know uh, any country that requires mandatory flag salutes except the ones that I don't want to live in. (laughs) And right. Uh, And they it's not even they weren't even uh, they didn't do anything wrong. It was just a another opportunity for them to divide people and to stir people up about nonsense. It was complete nonsense. I mean, they were, some were singing, some had their hands on their hearts. Others stood at attention. What were they supposed to do? You know, I mean, everybody's supposed to tear up and uh, it's just, uh, but I think that if they didn't sing, uh, if, if it wasn't this, it would be something else about the women's soccer team because the women's soccer team is also breaking a lot of norms and that makes them uncomfortable. So um, Republicans have a long habit of rooting against America. And I, and I refresh your memory about when the, the uh, Chicago lost the Olympics back in the day when Obama was president and they all cheered about that as if that was something to celebrate, right? Because how do you, I mean, you know, they're really, they're targeting other Americans. It's very, you know, it's very unpatriotic in my view. I, I think. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, if that, that Fox clip we played, it just shows what an isolated world they live in. Right. You know, predicting that the bo- they're going to, it was going to be a box off right. disaster and then it breaking all kinds of uh, records. Right. We're going to have to uh, take a uh, short break here to uh, give our uh, radio listeners a little break. We'll be staying on video, though. Uh, By the way, if you're listening to us and you want to watch us, there are two ways to do that at Twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon and facebook.com front slash deadline dc with brad bannon front slash videos we'll be right back with more tara devlin from terror buster tara devlin the host of the uh, podcast terror buster uh we've been talking about the uh, new florida department of education guidelines on explaining to florida students the benefits of slavery <laughs> Um, and, uh, all sorts, all all sorts of other, uh, crazy, you know, I, I think you're right about what you said, uh, is that they're turning, trying to turn back the clock. Yeah. You know, I used to joke that they were trying to turn back the clock to the 1950s, but in Florida, they're trying to turn it back to the 1850s. Right. They're going back further, Brad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and I, I think if you look at the polls, you know, America is changing. It's changing socially, yes. uh, culturally, racially. And there are just some a group of people who just don't want yeah. to change it. And mm-hmm. if you look at the polls, it's, you know, older white males uh, who are, you know, very distressed about the change, you know, the changing racial culture, yep. uh, the social culture. 
and they they just want to roll you know go back in time but it doesn't yeah. work this you know mm-hmm. i always say that you can slow down cultural change but you can't stop yeah. it that's it that's it i mean they're not just trying to roll us back to the 1860s they they uh, i've been saying this for years they're trying to reverse the american revolution they're they're literally dragging us back to the dark ages where I mean, and look at their policies where the you have rich white men at the top, no social safety net, no government schools, what they you know, government schools, that's what they call public education. No if you have an issue, you need help, you go to the church. Church and state are intertwined. This is the system that the founders fought a revolution to overthrow. And this country is supposed to be an antidote to that that serfs and lords kind of system. So that that's what they're trying to do. And, you know, that's why they're always like, it's all about the army. That's what the only good thing for federal government to be involved in is the army and the police and everything else is they'll, they'll have, you know, their, their big daddy at the top and everyone in their place. It's, it's just, you know, now it's out in the open, but, that literally after, and I've been saying it for years, how they they just can't function in democracy. And we see it. We see it. When it gets in the way of their, their power, that they're literally destroying democracy. So that, that will be thrown out, too, because they could give lip service to democracy. They can only stand it up to a point when the when it, everyone is tightly controlled like in the south during jim crow when you when when uh, people of color had no rights to vote where they were you know systematically suppressed and now they're you know i mean look they rather have this con man who received fewer votes at the top and you know they're well, all going the along those with are it. exactly the older white men yeah. especially are Donald Trump's uh, biggest supporters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he plays to that all the time and fans the flames of uh, racial and cultural uh, headache. Speaking of which, I'd like to bring up another topic uh, when it comes to racial uh, hatred. Uh, A country singer named Jason Aldean uh, just released a music video, which is number one on the country charts right now. Uh, called uh, Not in This Town. Right. Try that in a small town or something. Yeah, right in the small town. And uh, there's all sorts of inflammatory uh, lyrics in the the song. It basically talks about how small towns are good and big cities are evil. Uh, And uh, there are racial uh, connotations Although yep. he denies there's anything racial about it, but uh, the uh, part of the video is uh, has uh, footage of a Black Lives uh, oh, Matter protest in Atlanta, and also to cap it off, uh, the video was you know filmed in front of a courthouse that was the a site of a, a black teenager, teenager being lynched in 1927, but there was no racial intent at all behind the video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course not. Well, uh, yeah. and, 
you know, it is, you know, selling big. It's, uh, you know, he actually was just in Massachusetts uh, doing a concert last week. Uh, and, you know, again, another sign that the culture wars are being fought at yes. a very high level and with right. a lot of volume. Right. Well, this is this um, this is all that a Republican future holds for people. So it is the authoritarian future because they don't have anything. They're not um, trying to improve people's lives. They're not trying to uh, just do the basic um, work of government. That's so. If we end up being an authoritarian country, this is all we're going to have is culture wars because that's all they they think government's for. It's really to throw red meat to their whatever's their their dupes, and uh, while they continue to reap the benefits of their positions in power and uh, entrench more power into themselves. So. But it's all it is. They're very divisive. I mean, I've I always say it that they really do. They really I mean, they don't like this country. They can't stand the multiracial United States. They don't like that. We're a nation of immigrants that they they they're not sincere partners in this. And everything that they're talking about, like this song in general, try that in a small town. It's supposed to be so great in in small town. It's and where the truth is that per capita, the crime rates, homicide rates, violent crime rates are worse in small towns. In fact, New York is uh, one of the safest big cities in America, and and this is that's just the numbers. You know, they turn. And, and of course, you know, whatever uh, you could take. You're talking about facts again, Terry. Right, exactly. But, you you know, you could take videos, you could take snippets out of videos and make any propaganda out of it. And this is what they do. But it's all about, I mean, I, I've i never heard Democratic candidates, um, um, politicking or going out there and politicking on uh you know, real America. I'm from real America. But you hear this from right wingers. Uh, then it's all about dividing the country and, you know, divide and conquer. I, I really do wish that these people that that fall for this dumbass alone. And it's also about I mean, I wish they would wake up and see, you know, there's, they're so attuned to conspiracy theories, but they don't see the conspiracy happening right in front of their faces to make them, you know, to trigger them into turning against their fellow Americans. So, you know, I don't know. It's uh, to me, it seemed very obvious. But, you know, death rates, death by despair, all of these are are, uh, you know, way above the way um, the statistics from blue states. So uh, mental health access to health care, all of that. They, um, you know, this is try that in a small town. Well, try getting health care in a small town. If you're not rich, try, try, you know, getting help, try education, try, you know, try. But this is another it, They And I think that they're um, so this this person is taking off so much and is because there's a, the other aspect is them. They get off on triggering their fellow Americans, you see, they they which is also very unpatriotic in my view. I don't you know, I advocate for universal health care, not because I hate conservatives. I want them to get the help they need, you know, 
I want living wages, uh, retirement security for everybody. I'm not there, oh, yeah, I'm drinking their tears. You know what I mean? People just want to live their lives. I mean, this is the point of America. You're supposed to, have to be free to do, you know, pursue your life and pursue you know, raise some cats, you know what I mean? But they're not have to be constantly triggered and upset. And, uh, but yeah, I, it's just, to me, it's, it's unconscionable for them. This whole, the whole thing, try this in a small town, you know, why don't you stop dividing people? How that? Try that for once. Let's try it. Uh, Tara, I want to thank you for joining us again. We all, it's always a great pleasure to have you. you on. Uh, I want to thank our guest, uh, Tara Devlin, the host of uh, the podcast Terror Buster, uh, John right. Bennett, editor-in-large and analysis columnist at Congressional Quarterly and Roll Call, and, of course, our Crackerjack executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time for more Deadline D.C., Miss the shows at your own peril.